We are now joined by a very special guest, Baltimore Ravens long snapper and former Boston Red Sox farmhand, Nick Moore. Nick, it's great to see you. The tree's still up. I love it. I love the backdrop. How's everything going? Hey, Justin. Nice. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, we uh, we love Christmas at our house. That's our real tree. So we like the aroma that puts in the room, and it's going to go down pretty soon. I just I haven't taken it down yet. It's pretty big. It's like 10 feet, so I'm like – it's heavy. It's I don't want. I don't want to take it down. <laughs> but it'll Dang. come down probably this weekend. We got all the that's, other trees down. So that's funny. Moving on from Christmas. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. It makes the whole house smell good. You might as well leave it, it up does. for a little bit. Yeah, we uh, we love it. That that like Christmassy smell. It kind of makes you feel like it's Christmas, even though it's like January tenth today. <laughs> now now it's just January and sad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. Two sports. Obviously, it's a baseball show. There will be some football, obviously. Uh, but I wanted to start. I want to take it way back. If you had to make a, a pie chart of, like, your interests in sports growing up between baseball and football, what would those percentages have looked like back then? Um, 100% baseball. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up playing. I, was a fo- I played football, baseball, and I did uh, wrestling until I was about 12. Um, once baseball kicked up competitively I, with travel and stuff, I started, I stopped wrestling, but I, um, I always wanted to be a baseball player. My dream was always play in the big leagues. So I played football because my dad was a coach and he didn't, he didn't ever force me to do it. I always liked playing. Um, but I, I like, I distinctly remember like every year, um, when you would trans, when I would transition from like baseball into football, I'd want to, I would always want to quit baseball or football because I hated practice. I love the games because they're fun and it's like you have to go hit somebody in the mouth. Like it's, it's a lot of fun. But the practice, the one thing I loved about baseball was it was just games. Like you'd be very, I mean, you hit in a cage and stuff like that, but you weren't out practicing for two or three hours at a time. You just, you know, do a little bit here, do a little bit there, but you play three games a week or four games a week. So, what was the difference in physical training like? I saw pictures of you, obviously, when you played in the Red Sox minor league system. You you were kind of trimmed down. Like what? Yeah. What was like the physical stuff for baseball? And then how would you kind of transition into football off that? I think baseball, we did a lot of. I've always been naturally strong. I think my you know my dad made me. I started working out in fifth grade. Um, I was so I was always naturally strong. I'm a big guy, so. When I was younger, I was a lot leaner in baseball. We focused more on, like, mobility stuff, having, like, functional strength in, like, rotational stuff and, like, take, keep, you know, taking care of your arm, like the baseball building up your forearms and your, and your legs. Didn't do a lot of, like, upper body stuff um, other than, like, block bench or 90-degree bench or whatever, but nothing, like, super aggressive. And uh, did a lot of lower body, like squats, cleans, all that stuff. Um, so I've always had a pretty good base with the lower body, but I did a lot more mobility stuff. So there was a lot of flexibility and range of motion up top, which helped me be a little bit smaller. I probably, I was probably about thirty to forty pounds lighter uh, during baseball, um, and then moving into college football, you don't really have a choice. Like you gotta like. But you got to put on mass, I guess, to protect yourself um, and started hammering upper body stuff as well as the lower body. And just over the I gained a lot of size since I got to the ball since I got here in Baltimore. Um, I've been here four years. I put on a significant amount of like mass up top here that I have never really had before. Um, but it definitely helps in football to have a little bit extra cushion, a little bit extra muscle a little bit extra weight so I can get my butt down and not get uh, run over by these big guys. Especially too, because like we're jumping around a lot, but like you played, was it linebacker and fullback? Like those are like physically demanding positions. And then before that it was like third base corner infield. It's Mm -hmm. just like, they're very different, like physical skill sets. So it's fascinating to hear like the differences. What are you, were you a cardio guy, cardio guy back then? Um, not really running and running and I haven't never really meshed. I was, um, I did a lot of CrossFit esque workouts when I was in baseball, more of the hit workouts, like the high intensity uh, interval training stuff. So it was more geared towards like muscle endurance. Um, and again, functional strength because baseball, you need so much mobility in your shoulders and rotational aspects of hitting and fielding and all that stuff. 
So it was more functional strength um, mixed in with a lot of endurance stuff. Um, not a lot of like running for distance. I We did have, um, when I was with the Red Sox, we did do, we had uh, 300 yard shuttles was our conditioning test as well as a mile run. Um, so I did have to have a little bit of that down, but again, I was a corner infielder. So not a lot of, um, not a lot of speed or, or endurance in my uh, like longevity running wise. Yeah. Lateral quickness. That was your yes. thing. Not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Like a little, like a cat, you know, I could bounce around, <laughs> but I, I wasn't running for speed like center fielder or, or outfielder or whatever. Absolutely. You mentioned your dad was your coach in baseball and football growing up. Um, yes. What was it like learning the, the sports from him? And like, how did he kind of shape who you are as a player? Um, I don't think I appreciated it as much when I was younger. Uh, you know, it's like whenever your parents, my dad has been a football coach and baseball coach forever. It was for 40, this is his 43rd year coaching football. He's 60, it was 64 this year. Yeah. So he started at 21. Um, he, he was very knowledgeable about the game, about both games. Football is his thing. He's, he's a lot better at, at, I don't say a lot better, but he, he loves football. Um, and I got to a point kind of around middle school, like eighth, ninth grade in baseball where my dad's knowledge, you know, he kind of said like it, it kind of ran out at that point. Um, but it wasn't until I got older and I started hearing like the same stuff that my dad has always been telling me since I was a little kid that I really appreciated like, dang, my dad really knew what he was talking about. Maybe I should have listened a little bit, a little bit more. I will say I'm very thankful. He kind of forced me as a kid to learn how to long snap when I was like young. Um, so obviously it's paid off for me. That's what I do for the Ravens. Um, so I'm very thankful that he for, kind of forced that on me and he, you know, he made me a switch hitter. Um, it forced me to basically when I was younger, I would like, hit I was one at bat lefty next at bat righty like I would just rotate like that for probably until I was about 10 or 12 when pitchers actually started like throwing the ball um so I, I'm very I'm, a, I'm much more appreciative now um as a, as a grown adult more so than I was when I was a child that's yeah that's like the best part probably of having like a coach there to like learn like the fundamentals and the little things like you said mm-hmm. you mentioned switch hitting um I feel like that's something that has to come with like a, a decent amount of coaching because I think in the backyard, I tried to hit lefty and it just never, like my brain was like, this is like a foreign thing. I can't do this. Like, is, so it was because of your dad learned how to switch hit. Yeah. I didn't, didn't really give me much of a choice. I, uh, I can't really remember. Like people would always ask like, what's your natural side? I'm like, I honestly, I have no idea. Cause I, all I, all, like as long as I can remember, I hit both ways. I was obviously better left-handed um, I should say I was, I was more dynamic left-handed just because you, you see right-handed pitching way more, especially in high school in like your early years, there's, you know, you might have one left-handed pitcher on the team, but you got 10 or 11 right-handed pitchers. So you're seeing right-handed pitching way more younger. It's not until you get into pro ball where there's, you know, multiple lefties on the same, in the same rotation, um, that you really start to kind of figure it out I always had more power lefty just because I did it more um but I was I was more contact righty didn't swing and miss as as much right hand I swung and missed a lot left-handed um but I'm a a golf right-handed so I guess maybe I'm naturally righty I I had a question because I read actually a former switch hitter did Cedric Mullins did he go to your high school or I think I had that right yeah 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 I mean said he went to high school we grew up playing ball together when we were or I, I say he's one year younger than me so we grew up in the same area obviously in high school we started playing when he was a freshman I was a sophomore and we started playing baseball together back then he was a switch hitter uh he was a switch hitter in the pro ball uh, but he he tried he started learning how to switch hit in high school yeah wow did you okay yeah. so what what was his game like back then this is fa- i've like you know orioles fan growing up and like yeah yeah he, the switch hitting was always a thing for him and then obviously he, he picked one side now but yeah what was cedric like back then uh you know cedric he didn't i'll be honest he didn't play a whole lot and when i was in high school one year ahead of him we had a we had a center fielder by the name of trey martin um he was a really good player probably defensively probably one of the best outfielders i've ever seen in real time um defensively he was a 13th round pick I believe to the Chicago Cubs um and Trey started as a sophomore when Cedric was a freshman 
And so he, he basically played until he graduated. And then Cedric was, he played a little bit here and there. And it wasn't until his senior year. He's our coach in high school. And he did the same thing to me. He, he forced me to stop switch hitting my sophomore and junior year. Um, and he didn't like that Cedric wanted to switch it. I, at least from what I can remember. And, um, and so he, I mean, it wasn't that he wasn't good enough. He just, the guy in front of him was older a little bit. He had just been playing, you know, he had been established in, in the high school. Um, and he was a good player too. He just, he struggled hitting. He made the triple a, uh, with the Cubs and just struggled offensively. Um, like so many of us do in the minors. Um, but Cedric was super talented in his senior year. He was the best player on the team. Well, him and uh, Lucas Sims, uh, closer for the Reds. Yeah. Uh, he was the first rounder to the Braves out of high school. Um, he was really, really good. Uh, obviously, super talented player in the big leagues. But in high school, he was the guy. He was our number one pitcher uh, as a as a freshman. I remember we were playing in the semifinals as a freshman, and Lucas came in, and he's like 14 years old. And we're, he, we were going up against um, – this one team, the pitcher was going to uh, LSU. I can't remember. Jake Montgomery, I think, was his name. Uh, but they were – it was just – he was super talented from the very beginning. Um, so Cedric and Lucas graduated together, and they were both obviously superstars in the big leagues now. Where is this high school at that it's producing just, like, <laughs> we, major league um, talent? Uh, Metro Atlanta. There's a lot of guys, like, Matt Olson went to our rival high school. Um Matt Olson went to one of our rival high schools, probably our biggest rival in baseball. And then Austin Meadows went to our biggest rival high school in football. Um, and so, I, I mean, we just – we grew up in a very populated area in the suburbs of Atlanta. A lot of talented athletes, football, um, baseball. Like Deshaun Watson is from down the road. Um, Isaiah Crowell's from that area. Isn't so Heineke from down there too? Yeah, Taylor Heineke went to – he graduated the same year as me. We actually played him twice um, my senior year in football. And uh, I like Taylor. He's a good kid. I've known him for a long, long time. But his last pass in high school was an interception to your boy. So, shout out Taylor Heineke. <laughs> but he's a, he's a stud. And we just – we grew up in a very populated, very dense area with a lot of talented kids. Obviously, in the South, it's warm and football's religion. But baseball's also huge. We had East Cobb. And now they have perfect game down there. Um, so there's just a lot of talent in that area around Atlanta. So I was blessed to to kind of be a part of that. And I got I think I got drafted because I played against guys like Matt Olson. I played with Lucas Sims and these guys are first round draft picks and the scouts are coming to watch them and I play well and it helps me and I end up getting drafted myself. So it all worked out. That's a great point. Yeah, they're, they're coming. There's a lot of scouts coming to these games. Like, yeah, yeah. That's that's so. Did it like sharpen your skills? Like playing up against like all these guys. Like you think that was part of it too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think you have a choice when you play against competition like that. You kind of have to elevate your game. But I grew up with Matt Olson. Like him and I, we started playing baseball together when we were nine. Uh, again, he was one year behind me grade wise. He's my age, but he graduated same year as Cedric and Lucas, 2012. But I played with Matt literally from nine years old till I was 14. And then I went to high school, and he was one year behind me, so he played another year eighth grade. But I think, you know, me being a football and baseball player in high school, it was really hard. Like, I didn't have the luxury of doing some of the, the stuff in the fall and the winter, like the showcases down in Florida and stuff, because I was playing football. Um, so being in a, a situation where I played with a first-round pick, a guy who's – you know, he was at the time he was throwing, he was a sophomore, a junior in high school. When I graduated, he was throwing 100, uh, you know, in the upper 90s. And then Matt Olson's hitting 40 home runs a year. So we're playing them all the time. We're playing them, you know, two or three times a year. And scouts come to watch them. And I just happen to play well in those games. And I get noticed and stuff like that. So it definitely, it definitely helps being in an area like that. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from two apparel sponsors of this podcast. The first is Zero Negative. They are a brand out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do every time. They promote positivity and mindfulness in all of their products. Check them out at zeronegative.com. And last but not least, Few Will Hunt. It's one of my favorite brands out there. It's a great American company out of Philadelphia. 
out to restore the dignity of hard work. It is by far my favorite shirt to work out in. Check them out online at fewwillhunt.com. Now back to the episode. Did you ever think that growing up in Metro Atlanta with Cedric, you guys would both be playing professional like sports in the same city? No, I don't think. If you had told Cedric and I in 2011, my senior year of high school, that I would be playing football for the Baltimore Ravens in, in 13 years and or 14 years, and you'll be playing, you'll be starting center fielder for the uh, Baltimore Orioles in the same time frame. I think we both would have said you're. He would have believed. He he wouldn't have said that. He would have been like, you're, you know, he's going to make it to the big leagues. But I would have been like, you're full of, you know, you're full of it. I'm going to make it to the big leagues as well. I'll be, we'll both be playing for the Orioles. Um, uh, but, you know, God works in mysterious ways. So um, we're both very fortunate to, to be here in Baltimore together. And, you know, it's, it's really cool when he's obviously a stud. And I, I'm playing long Sanford, so I don't get a lot of media attention. Um, but it is cool when, like, people – people want to talk to me because like oh you know cedric i'm like oh yeah i know cedric <laughs> we go way oh, back, let's so. don't sell yourself short second team all pro that's not yeah. it'll just give those out this is true i i do have i do have that next to me so that that helps for sure but long snapper just the nature of our position we we're low-key under the radar we just show up and do what we're supposed to do and get our check and go home <laughs> that's i mean that's all we can do you know yeah. It's cool when, when Justin, you know, when Tuck does something really cool, uh, you know, it brings a lot of attention. Playing with him brings attention to me because he's Justin Tucker. So it definitely helps. I get a little bit more maybe than some other guys, but for the most part, our position is very quiet, very hush-hush. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind, of, that's kind of the fun part about it, though. Yeah, I um, like it incognito. I can go to the grocery store and nobody knows me. Yeah. Do you go in the Ravens hoodie when you go out and you're just like, you're trying to say like, all right, who, who's, who's a real. <laughs> this, this hoodie's like, this is like the best hoodie we've ever gotten. And I, I love it. I wear it all the time and obviously it has my number on it. So it's because it's a game day hoodie. Um, so people will like, I wore, uh, we flew back to, we were flew down, down to Jacksonville over the holidays for, um, to see my in-laws down in, in Jacksonville. And I was where I made the mistake of wearing this hoodie and, like I, I actually had like my, my even my wife was like, whoa, people are actually recognizing. I had like three or four people, like I come up to me in the airport and were like, oh, Mr. Moore, how are you? Nice to meet you. Can you like I took a picture with a couple of little kids and that that was like a first for me. It's kind of an out of body experience because that really never happens. Um, <laughs> but normally, if I don't wear like if I wear a Ravens gear without my number, people just think I'm a fan because mm-hmm. everybody in Baltimore loves Ravens. Um, but when you slap the the number on it, it's like, okay, who is this guy? And then people will like look you up on you because you can check in thirty seconds. You can ask Siri, and it's right there. So You're like, is this a customized? Is is this guy just like a regular dude? Uh, yeah. I have you ever like went back to the minors? Like, ha, did you ever like want to be recognized? Did you ever like want to be like obviously because you wanted to go to the big leagues? You wanted to be this yeah. like great baseball player. Like, was that ever a thought that like, hey, it would be cool to be like in Target and be like, oh my god, that's Nick. I mean, yeah, my, I mean, I, um, I definitely wanted that. I grew, I, I lived with, uh, I was very fortunate, got drafted to the Red Sox, same year as Mookie Betts. Uh, him and I became really good friends in the minors. We lived together. What he is doing was like, obviously, that's what everybody wants to do. That, that was the dream, you know, to be that player. So, yeah, of course I wanted that. But now that I don't have it and I am where I am, like, it's kind of nice because like I go out to dinner with Tuck and it's like people are just coming out of the woodworks trying to get his autograph. So I could see how that would be a little bit annoying, but at the same time, it's a blessing to have that popularity and, and be in that position. Um, so, you know, I, I like where I'm at now. I think it fits my personality perfectly. When's he going to start cutting in on some of those Royal Farms deals? <laughs> Dude. I would love to work with Royal Farms. Shout out Royal Farms because I love that chicken. And I'm more it's more believable that I eat the chicken than duck. <laughs> you know? He drinks the coffee and gets the gas, I guess. But I actually I will say, I, I obviously I'm out this year, I've been sitting at the house watching the games on TV. I they show the commercials, you know, every commercial break, there's a Justin Tucker commercial. They're actually pretty good. I even told him this a couple of weeks ago. I was like Dude, I, I've been watching, like, I see your commercials, like, probably 10 times a weekend, and they're actually pretty good. Some of them are some of them are really cool, so um, he does a good job with that. I'm just, 
I would love to to get in on some of that. So you never know. You see in the background, just like filling the yeah. coffee up, smiling, looking in the camera. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'll I'll be an extra, dude. Come on. Come on, you got to talk to Tucker so, about some that. Some of those extras need need a little work, so I could easily I could spice <laughs> it up, bring some fire to those commercials. Oh God, I would I would lose it if I saw you in the back <laughs> one of those next next football. I think season. I would too. Yeah, that would be hilarious. <laughs> um, you mentioned Mookie Betts. And uh, I, I was reading about like your guys' relationship, how close you guys were going back to the Red Sox system. Like, can you tell me how it like first began the friendship between you and him? Um, we were both drafted in 2011 out of high school. He was a fifth round pick in 2011. I was a 30th round pick, and we I signed uh, like two weeks before him. That was back when the signing the the last day to sign was like August 15th or something. Um, so I signed the end of July and, and then that I was what they, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the draft and follow, it's like an older thing. Uh, so when I was coming through, they used to do this thing called draft and follow. So they would draft a high school kid late, like a late round draft pick high school guy. Um, back when we had 50 rounds in 2011, uh, 52 rounds is two supplemental rounds, but they, um, basically what happened was they drafted me. 30th round and they were like all right we're gonna we drafted you we're gonna put you on this team and we want you to play this team with the whole summer or basically the month of june and then we'll re at the end of the summer we'll have a guy like follow you be there at all the games and stuff and uh follow you and then we'll make your decision obviously mook was a fifth round pick so it was different um but i anyways i signed in in end of july he signed in august 15th and we kind of we met obviously being high school. There was like six that year. It was like, uh, we had Blake Swihart first round pick, uh, Henry Owens first round pick, uh, Cody Kukuk was a seventh round pick. I was a 30th round pick. Jordan Weems was a third round pick and Mookie was a fifth round pick. And that was like the kind of the group of the high school kids that got drafted that year that signed. And, um, so we were always like going to the field together. We we're doing instructs together. We went to the DR together. Um, and Mook and I just hit it off. Like we just became really good friends and we, um, we lived together in the hotel in uh, 2020 or sorry, sorry, 2012. And we went through extended spring training together, really got super, me, him and this other kid, um, Kendrick Perkins. He was a, a year before us the three of us became really tight. And then our second spring training, we were able to live off camp, live off campus, basically live outside the hotel. So then we started living together and then we all went to Greenville low A in 2013 together. And we played all year together in 2012. And then 2013, we went to Greenville together. And then it was like, we were all kind of together. So I'll go this way. Perk got hurt. I got sent down and then Mookie just went like that. And then um, he started, he started playing well in 20 in, in May of 2013. And he's never looked back since. And we, we just, we've always bonded. I mean, I think just, you know, same age. We're like, we have a lot in common. We like a lot of the same stuff. Um, we, you know, it was, we were both easy to get along with and, you know, we were just always around each other and we ended up becoming really close friends and we would uh, stay with each other's house in the off season. Uh, I lived with him um, off season 2014 for like a month, stayed with him and his mom uh, up in Nashville. And then he came and stayed with me in 2013 uh, for a little bit down in Atlanta. So we, um, you know, we just became best friends, I guess. Being, at that point in our life, I think we were, you know, we think we were best friends fascinating yeah could could you tell like his like on the field ability did you know that he was just going to be like this just like massive like star uh our first uh, the one thing i was always fascinated by mook uh his first year in 2012 the guy never swung unless there was two strikes like he it was like a serious problem like he would always he would not swing the bat until he got two strikes and for and he would somehow you know, he hit like, I think he hit like 270 and in, in, uh, 270 or 280 in, in Lowell and short season. But the one thing I noticed about Mook was like, he very rarely missed the ball. Like when he swung, he very rarely made, didn't make contact. Um, and so that was like super impressive. It wasn't until 
I'll never forget this. It, we were sitting in – we were in West Virginia playing against the West Virginia Power. Uh, it was like the first week of May in 2013. And we were both hitting about – I was actually hitting a little bit better. I was hitting like 160, and he was probably hitting like 140. The difference was like he would like line out to the center fielder, and I was striking out. So, But statistically, I was doing better for a little bit. Um <laughs> And he was all down, you know, he's like, we were both kind of in the dumps at this particular moment. And we're sitting there in the dugout and he's just like, man, I suck. He's like, I'm never going to hit a home run, like all this stuff. And I'm like, bro, just shut up. Like, just go, just go up there and hit the ball. And the very next at bat, it was the first time he ever hit a home run. And it was a line drive to opposite field. And he has, since that day, he has never looked back. He became, he went on to, basically tear through the minor leagues and then in, in the next 18 months. And he was in the big leagues by the end of 2014. And uh, now he's Mookie Betts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was – he definitely – hand-eye coordination was significantly better than ours. Um, you know, we would, like, play wiffle ball in the front yard at, like, our house we had down in Florida. And, like – it was just – it was unbelievable. I mean, he was just good at everything. Like, I'm good at a lot of stuff that I do. Uh, over the average person, like, I can pick something up and, like, do it pretty well, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. That dude, like, picks it up and he's, like, the best at it, and he's never even tried it. And he just naturally gifted in, in, in that way, and he's a very talented player. So, yes, we knew early on he was better than all of us. <laughs> I had a question about the, the money part about being a minor leaguer because like you hear so often about like, you know, the bus rides, like you obviously probably experience this 30th round draft pick. There's probably not a ton of cash. Like, yeah. but as Mook is a fifth rounder though, like when you lived with him, could you like, did you guys have better housing than everybody else? Like, I think there was also a story where it says like you and him would ride around in his BMW. Um, yeah. So he got his signing bonus. He got seven fifty, I believe. And I got two fifty. So it wasn't, it was 500 grand, 500 grand. Um, but he, he wasn't until he got to the big leagues that it, we were like, okay, this is different. And we, cause like we, when we had, uh, they paid for our housing in, in, during spring training. So like, if you got, like, like we would get a house, we would like rent a house and they would, we would get like $400 a week or something for like our rent. And we would get like five or six guys in like a house that was like 2,500 a month. And so we would end up making a little bit of money um, down dur during spring training, but everything else, <laughs> I think my highest contract in the minors was $1,400 a month <laughs> before taxes <laughs> and <Jeez>. housing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, d definitely don't make a lot of money. Um, I actually got a paycheck this year, like within the last couple months of um, this past year, I guess. Uh, from the the lawsuit where the dudes from Harvard sued uh, professional baseball and Major League Baseball for uh, because we were paid under minimum wage, we had like a group class action lawsuit. I ended up getting like ten grand, but it was a nice little paycheck to get. I got it like in August, right after I had surgery, so it was a nice little pick me up after surgery. That's the best walk to the mailbox ever. Like, oh my yeah, god, it was kind of random too. Here. Because it was like an ongoing – the lawsuit started back like in 2015, I think, and maybe even 2014. And we would get letters every now and then, and then just randomly I got a check. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> this is nice. <laughs> I think this – luckily my parents had – my parents ended up moving uh, shortly after I got that check. But luckily they had my parents' address on file, and they just sent it. And nice little severance check, I guess. Definitely doesn't cover the, the amount of hours we worked, but it was nice. Yeah. Well, that's nice to know that you're listed on there as like a like person in there. Uh, yeah, it was like a specific time. It was like it was like Florida spring training or extended spring training between like 09 and 2015 or 2014 or something. And then it was like Arizona spring training from like 2010 to like 2014 or so. It was like very specific. And I just happened to be exactly in that time frame. So it was nice. <laughs> uh so you're are you a braves fan still like to this day are the braves like your your baseball team uh i would say like i don't i mean i would say yeah i don't uh, like 
I repped them like in 21 when they won the World Series. Like I was, I was repping them like that whole year. I, I like them a lot more now because Matt Olson, like I said, he's one of my good friends. Um, so, but for me, I'm more of a fan of the game. So like, I know when I know players like Mookie, I love watching him. I'm friends with Cedric, Tyler Wells with the Orioles. I've started meeting some of the guys on that team. So then I watched them. And then one of my best friends, um, Brad Keller, he's been with the Royals for the last six years. Uh, So I watched them a whole bunch. I would would probably say I supported them the most because he's like my best friend. Like he went to high school with my wife and his brother was my best man at my wedding. So like we're like family. Um, So I would say I probably supported them the most over the last six years. Um, but like, I, I know so many guys that have, were lucky enough to make it that I tend to support the individuals rather than the team, but I do love it when the Braves win. I was a huge Braves fan growing up, obviously with Chipper Jones was Chipper Jones, Barry Bonds and Alex or Derek Jeter were my favorite players growing up. So I, uh, love watching the Braves during the heyday of Smolty, Glavin, um, Maddox, all those guys. What do you think about the Dodgers and Braves? I feel like they might be the two best teams of baseball, Mookie and Matt's teams. Like, yeah. who do, do you have, like, a sense of how do you think that's going to shake out? I mean, it's going to be really hard to beat the Dodgers, right? They, they have to be the, the favorite to win the World Series. I mean, they have the two – they have the best player in baseball and then arguably one of the next two best players in baseball with Mookie being either the second or third, depending on Trout. I, I feel like it's going to be really difficult. Their rotation in the in LA is insane, um, and they have just some freak talent. Like their roster, there's not a weak spot in that entire roster. I think the Braves are very similar, but Shohei Otani is a little. It's a different. It brings a whole another element to the Dodgers that like now not only is he your best hitter, he's your number one pitcher, and it's like it just elevated that entire roster. Uh, so I think they have to be the front runner, but the Braves have a really good team. I mean, they got some Matt Olson's a freaking animal, Ronald Cunha, Ozzy, um, Roche, pitching staff's been really good. Uh, and I went to high school actually, uh, uh, Brian Snicker, his uh, son went to high school with us. Uh, Troy Snicker, he's the hitting coach for the, um, Astros now, I think, or he last I talked to him, he was, but, um, when he was coaching for the Gwinnett Braves, Triple uh, A. My high school is in Gwinnett, right down the street from there. So his son Troy went to high school. He's four years older than me, but uh, knew him. I've known him my whole life. So I, I do. I definitely support the Braves. Like I, I, I would love for them to win, but it's going to be really hard to beat the Dodgers in a seven game series. This year's going to be so much fun. Yeah, it, like, it's going to be storylines. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out, but. I would love to see a Braves Dodgers in LCS. That'd be cool. That I think America wants that. That would be the uh, best. Yeah. I would love to see them in the World Series together. All right, let's just cut the chase. Yes. Like nobody, nobody <laughs> wants to see the Astros in the World Series again or the Rangers. We want to see the Dodgers and the Braves World Series, best of seven, winner take all. Could be Orioles and Braves. That would really put true. you in a blender. I would. I think it would be so cool. Like being here in Baltimore, have being friends with a lot of guys on the team. I think it would be sick too. They got that – they won the division this past year, got the experience of going to the playoffs, didn't work out for them this year. But now it's like they've been there, done – just like kind of kind of like Michigan. You know, went to the – it took them three years, but they finally won. And so hopefully the Orioles can build off last year and, and make a statement in the playoffs next year. I like it. Yeah, I, I'm definitely rooting for it. 101 wins, that's cool. Like that looks cool and all, but, yeah, we're going to see some playoff wins here. Um, yeah. I have, one, I have one last Mookie question. Uh, okay. when, when you were with him, did you, was he like gifted? Cause like, I like his podcast a lot now. I think he's really, really good as like a speaker and like, he's like, he can hold a conversation really well. Could you yeah. tell that he was going to be doing something like that in the future? And in two part, I saw a podcast clip where he said he travels with just like a, a suitcase full of like cooking utensils and stuff to cook with. Did he do that in the minors? Was he, was he focused on the health and the nutrition then? Um, not as much. Obviously, didn't have the uh, financial backing to do some of that stuff in the minors. But he always was like, when we were living in spring training, like, we would go grocery shopping. He would cook uh, kind of, you know, pretty decent meals. Like, very rarely would we eat something 
like just not like just some like McDonald's or something. He was always cooking something up. Um, but I could have, I mean, I'm not surprised he has a podcast. He likes to talk and he, he's got a lot to talk about. I mean, he's, a, he's a very unique character. He's got a lot of unique ta- kind of hidden talents, if you will, with bowling and he's really good at archery and he's, you know, and he's also an easy guy to get along with. I think he's friends with, he makes friends with people easily. Um, he's a very likable guy, got a good character to him. So guys want to talk to him. So, and I'm, and also he's like the best player in the game. So it or one of them. So it's, it's easy to kind of root for him and, and uh, want to sit down and have a, a conversation with him on his podcast. I would love to be on his podcast and shoot the, shoot some bull with my guy, but, um, yeah, I just I actually just started watching that like uh, two like a month ago. I just started watching this, but I didn't know it was on HBO. I just found that out. Oh, wow. So I, I started. Uh, I don't have Twitter or anything, so I'm like behind. I'm always behind on everything. <laughs> um, but I just started watching that, so I uh, I'm stoked for it. I think it's a really good show. I, I would love to have one of those myself one day. <laughs> I just love the fact that like the the, the podcast itself is so good, and I really appreciate that it's like done during the season. Because yeah. like I feel like it's like for an athlete to go out there and it's like obviously Draymond Green did this when he's or I think he still might be doing this, but just like active player podcasts, it's like yeah. there's not enough of them. And as fans, that's the kind of content I want. I want mm-hmm. real conversations and also like talking about stuff that happened recently. Yeah, actually, when he, when they came, uh, we went to the game when the Dodgers came to LA, uh, came to Baltimore this summer, and I was actually. I was like, hey, man, you want to grab some lunch? He's like, dude, I got to do a podcast with Cedric. And I was like, all right. Uh, but I, I ended up seeing the episode. It was really good. But we, I saw him at the game. Um, uh, he, he brought me and my wife down. Oh, I guess Tyler Wells really brought us down to the under the thing after the game. We went to the show. We went to the game with Ripken. Sat in uh, the Iron Man seats right behind the first base – or right behind home plate. So that was really cool. Um but I got to see him again in, in July, so that was really neat to kind of catch up with him. I'd seen him. And last time I saw him was 2019. I think I went to Boston for a week, a weekend, um, stayed with him for a weekend up in, when he was still with the Red Sox. That's cool that you, you, like, have maintained, like, after all these years, all from, like, the backfields and spring training to, to Lowell Mass. Yeah. And now, like, yeah, that, that's just so cool that you can, you know, he's still, like, a friend of day. Yeah, and no, it definitely is, and I'm I'm very honored that he still keeps in touch with me. He can be, you know, in his position, I can understand that he doesn't he would lose contact with guys. But yeah, we went through a lot back in those days. The minor leagues are tough, and you know, you guys are coming. It's kind of your you know, we're both young. We're both eighteen. It's kind of your first experience of real life. Guys, you know, getting cut, leaving. You know that that door is ever revolving um, with players coming in and out, and. You know, I was blessed that we were able to hang, be together for five years and uh, we became really close friends and kind of stayed in touch with each other throughout the years. And he came and saw me uh, one time in college. We played Tennessee. He came and watched. Um, and I've seen him. Uh, he was going to come out to the L.A. game this year. We went to the Chargers this year, but obviously I didn't go. But next year we go back out there. So hopefully um, hopefully he'll come through there. I'll give him. You know, he'll probably get his own tickets to be on the field or something. But if he needs them, I got them. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's you know, like I said, we we went through a lot in the minor leagues, and uh, you kind of bond over that stuff. You kind of grow up as kind of become men together. Um, so I'm very blessed for it. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bats podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteeing a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. I love that. You mentioned something about just like the minor leagues. It is a grind. Like, obviously, can you talk about the transition from baseball to football? What was there like a moment where you knew that like baseball, it's, it's not necessarily going the way I thought. And like, were you just glad that you were able to see it all the way through? Yeah, I think I definitely had that moment where I knew uh, this was kind of the end. Um, 2014, we drafted Sam Travis, the second round pick out of Indiana, played first base. I was playing first base. 
I finally, I just started like turning the corner, really started playing well on offense. But Sam was younger than me out of college at that time. And he, uh, second round pick, he, you know, he's going to get the action and stuff. And I had my manager at the time. Uh, I mean, I was in Lowell for my third year. <laughs> so like it, it was, you know, kind of the writing was already on the wall, if you will. But my manager at the time was uh, Joe Oliver, former catcher for the Reds. He, uh, he brought me in after we drafted Sam and he was like, you know what this means, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is it. And he's like, he was like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. You know, this is probably the end of it for you. Um, this will probably be your last year. Just all I can tell you is go out there and have fun and enjoy it. And I think having that conversation with him, when I think about minor league baseball, that's like the time period that I think about. Like that, that season I just happened to have – to my career highs and everything, um, except for at bats, I had career low in at bats that year. Um, but I happened to have had highest batting average, most doubles, most homers, most stolen bases, most RBIs in that one little span. So I ended up playing pretty well that year, and I think a lot of it was just I didn't have. I kind of knew it was coming to an end. I just wanted to make the most of the time that I had left, and fortunately, I did. Were you at peace with it? Oh yeah, when I got cut, um, it was it was the most relieving situation because it was like that whole spring training in 2015. Like Mook had just become Mookie Betts. I was living with Mookie Betts, um, Jackie Bradley Jr., Matt Barnes, Kendrick Perkins, my our other friend, and me. So there's you know six of us in this house. Four of them are in the big leagues. You know, like like they're all four. I guess Jackie and and Matt were first round picks, and then Mookie is was obviously Mookie. Um, and so that whole time, I'm like, it, you know, you start piecing together the roster, like when you're when spring training is kind of dwindling down. And our buddy Kendrick had got cut the week before, and so I we I was like, oh, I made it to the last week of spring training. Like, you know, maybe I have a chance. But then I'm like piecing together the rosters, and I'm like. Well, I can't go back to Lowell because I've been there way too many times. So I have to go to Greenville at least. Uh, but this guy's going to play first base in Greenville because he's a high school kid. He's, you know, he's in his second full year. So he's going to play. Well, Sam's going to go to high A because he's a college second round pick. And this guy's got to play here. And then like, I'm like, where does that put me? And I, there was never a roster that I could make that was like realistic and still have me on the team. I could have been like, oh, well, they're going to put this guy here when I knew he wasn't going to um, or they weren't going to do that. And so once it happened, it was like, you know, finally, because I didn't – I'm not a quitter. My dad always, like, raised me. One of the things he, like, really instilled in us when we were growing up was, like, we don't quit. So, like, you start something, you see it to the end. Um, but, man, it was – baseball was very hard for me mentally – it was very difficult. I was, you know, most of the time I was miserable because I wasn't playing well, didn't know how to cope with that as a young kid, uh, really struggled, battled with that my whole career. And uh, so when I got cut, it was like almost a sigh of relief, like we're done. You know, I fought to the end. I worked, I worked, I did as, I became the best baseball player I could have become. And I have zero regrets getting cut, like, no, as soon as I got cut, I was like, I am done. Thank God. It's over. I don't want to play baseball anymore. I'm ready to move on. And I have not wanted to play baseball since. Wow. Didn't that's... think I would be in the NFL, but that's story. <laughs> yeah, it worked <laughs> uh, out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But I was so done with with baseball. I was just mentally checked out. I knew I wasn't going to make it. Like I, you know, like I said, I live with all these big league guys. And I'm like, I am not as good as they are. Like – they see things I don't see. They anticipate better than me. They have a better understanding of the game. They have better t- – they're more talented than me. I mean, like, you live with Mookie Betts and you watch him. Like, you're not going to – no one's going to be that guy. So, if that's the reference to make it to the big leagues, well, shit, I am not going to make it to the big leagues. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, it was ended up working out perfect for me. I had two questions about the college football route that you chose to go. Um, yeah. So, you obviously played football at the University of Georgia – this this is a baseball podcast, but like there's there's gonna be some football stuff here. Yeah. Uh, Nick Saban just retired today. 
And yeah. I think did he did he show interest in you when you first like were like, hey, I would like to play college football? Was that did I read yeah. that right? Yeah. So I went to Alabama. I went to visit Georgia, Georgia Tech, Alabama, and Mississippi State. Um, and it you know came down between Alabama and Georgia, and I wanted to stay home. Had I gone to Alabama, I would have won three, two, two national championships and played in four. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I was de- I was deciding between Georgia and Alabama, and I got the most utmost respect for Coach Haven. That guy, I came in, I went on a visit there during spring practice. Here I am. I hadn't played football in five years. I'm 22. I don't know what position I play. I'm with this big, tall, white dude. And he comes over to me after practice, knows my name, was like, you know, basically was like, asked, he asked me a couple questions about minor league baseball. And, you know, he was like, I'm excited. We're excited to have you. We'd love to have you here at Alabama. Was like very professional. And I, my, even my dad, we were both like, wow, that guy, he, that guy's on it. Whether somebody told him as he was walking over to us, you know, it doesn't really, it's not really the point. Like that guy took five minutes out of his day, talked to me and my dad and my uncle and was like, knew my whole story. And I was not, I was a walk on. I was not going to be, I wasn't some five-star recruit. And so I, I appreciated coach Saban for that. And obviously I'm, I love people that are extremely successful. And I know a lot of people hate Alabama because they win too much, but I understand how difficult it is to win at this, at that level. And for someone to be able to do it for that long, it's just, it's astonishing. And it's something that like, I'm like, how could I be that good at something? And so, you know, it's a, it's a big loss for college football today. Coach Saban was a, will forever be one of the best coaches of all time, if not the best coach to ever do it. And, you know, it's going to be a different out. It's going to be a different uh, playing field next year in college football. It makes me sad. Like growing up, like your first instinct is to like, oh, this guy sucks. They win every year. Yeah. Uh, but then, it's like, you know, I feel like as I got older, I'm like, I really appreciated just like what he brought to the sport. Just like, I love listening yeah. to like his clips now. Like there was a oh, thing on Twitter. Best. It was like the, the importance of nothing was like a, a minute, like thing he did about just like you wake up every day, you know, the world owes you nothing. It was like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, Just like his ability to connect with players. Uh, I feel like that, that was, I feel like that's what really separates him of just like, you know, as time goes on and like, there's different generations of people coming through, like, that's pretty cool that he was able to just like take five oh, yeah. minutes out of his day and talk to you or still doing it to this yeah. day. I mean, that guy's just, just look at the, the people that have come through Alabama as coaches that are now coaches in the same league or in college football that are kind of from that band, that Nick Saban tree. And that just goes to show you he's obviously doing something right. And he knows how to teach people how to be champions and whether that's players or coaches, I mean, there's, but from Kirby Smart to Dan Lanning to Must Champ to Jimbo Fisher, Dan Mullen, like there's countless guys that he that have, were mentored by him that were super successful. I mean, Kirby went back to back now he's at Georgia, um, and Dan Lanning turned around Oregon, you know, had him as one of the best teams in the league this year. So, you know, he's he's a very special person and very special football coach. So. I'll be. I'm sad that he's he's leaving, but he's getting up there. You know, him and him and Bill are cre- creeping up in their mid seventies. So, yeah. You know, I think the NIL stuff's definitely was such a radical change of college football that it it made it that probably weighed in on some of it. Yeah, that's a good point. He he wasn't really a fan of that. Um, no, it was such a radical. It's it was such a radical change so that rapidly. Like it was, it happened so quickly, came out of nowhere. And it's like, it's a lot of work. I couldn't imagine being 72 and having to keep up with 18-year-old kids NIL stuff, transferring, asking for millions of dollars. That'd be hard. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's it would be annoying if you're 45, but it would be both if you're 72. Yeah. One, I feel like a common theme I've noticed throughout this is just like, in your career, baseball and football, it's just like being around guys who are at the top of their game like yeah. you talked about with like Mookie and Cedric and even now on the Ravens with like Justin Tucker, like 
are you able to pull any common threads out from being around guys at the top of their game? Like what, what do the greats do? Obviously it's hard to become great, but I feel like it's even harder to like maintain it as long as some of these guys have. Yeah. I think the biggest, the, one of the biggest themes I see between all these guys is just work ethic. They, they're the hardest working guy. Like Mook is one of, if not the hardest working guy I know he's, he's never satisfied. You know, he's very similar to Justin in the fact that he, he, when he's doing something, it has to be done exactly right. He's not going to stop until it's done perfectly. And he's, you know, he's out there multiple times a day doing his thing, crafting his business or crafting his uh, job. And he's always done that it's since the beginning, whether it's working out in the gym, whether it's taking extra ground balls, whether it's getting extra hacks on the tee, you know, that was – something that he kind of brought early on in his career was like, I'm going to be the hardest working guy here. And I, th I mean, I worked hard too. Like I worked really hard, but I think they, not only do they work hard, there's, you know, he's extremely talented and a couple, when you pair that together, you know, you get what you get between Mookie and Justin. And I think they all have that same work ethic. I mean, look at a guy like Cedric, he didn't play in college in high school played one year basically, went to a small school in what, North Carolina A&T, I think, and I guess it was middle of the road draft pick. I don't know his exact story, but all the cards were stacked against him. The only way you get to the top is if you work hard for like in that sense. Same with me, late round draft pick, walk on in college, you know, played three different positions in college, got cut from my first NFL team, went to the XFL, made it on practice squad, and then finally got – played, became all pro, got a good contract. You don't get there without working your butt off, you know? And and what I've learned as I've gotten older and gotten around Justin and Sam Cook and Morgan Cox and guys like that, it's not it's not just work ethic. It's it's working correctly and precisely and to perfection all the time. And it's every day, three hundred and sixty five days a year, all the time. It's a grind and it's hard. But that's just the nature of being successful. I think no matter what you do in life, whether it's business or sports or being a teacher, there's only one way to the top, and it's through hard work. And, you know, it's not for everybody because, like I said, it's hard. It's very difficult. It's frustrating. It's mentally challenging. You know, life, it, life happens, and you want to be doing this, and you don't want to be doing that. And, like I'm about to go ride the bike right after this for 45 minutes. And I'm like, it's already eight 35. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that, but well, there's not, a, there isn't a choice. Like there's a quote. I, I don't know the exact quote and I'll probably butcher it. I don't know who said it, but it's something along the lines of um, there isn't a choice. Like if you want to be the best at anything, there's no choice. Like there's only one way to do it. And one of my favorite quotes is, um, from the boxing movie with Miles Teller. Uh, I can't think of the name of the movie right now. Um, he plays the guy who gets in a car wreck and breaks his neck. Uh, he wears the haze. It's like in the 80s or something. He's like in this halo. And he's doing an interview right before he comes back to the, his first fight uh, back since the injury. And the lady interviewer asked him uh, what was the biggest lie he was ever told. And he said, uh, it's not that simple. And she was kind of like, what do you mean? And he's like, no, that's the biggest lie I was ever told was it's not that simple. If you just do the work, it's that simple. And, you know, I think, I, you know, we pride ourselves here on hard work and Mookie does the same and Cedric does the same. And I feel like everybody in that position works really difficult. There are a few outliers that are overly talented that don't have to work hard. But I think the majority of people that are successful put in – hundreds and thousands of hours to at their craft to get to the top i love that all right i still have a couple last questions for you this yeah, has no been fantastic we'll for sure have to do a part two at some point this year oh like yeah that would love that um your position we talked about it in the nfl long snapper it's, it's one that i feel like not a lot of people know a lot about um do you what is the difference between like a good and a great long snapper like what do you have to do to separate yourself obviously second team all pro shout out like what, what do you have to do to be great at your, at your job? Um, I think the biggest separator from good and great is in 
situations like we had the other night on Saturday where it's miserable weather, it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy, you know, windy, it's late in the season. They've already clinched the division and, and the first round by. It's playing well in situations of high anxiety and high stress and a high likelihood of failure. Playing in like snapping a game winning field goal and being perfect and snapping a punt with five seconds left on the clock and you know they're blitzing everybody because they have to block the punt to win the game. Being perfect there. It's snapping well in the snow or in the elements. Um and and being consistent all year, like always being spot on. I think Morgan Cox is does it better than anybody else, and he's just Mister Consistent. Always snaps, you know, perfect field goal snaps all the time, no matter the ball, the weather, the situation in the game. Always spot on, and same with punts. And I think as a long snapper, you know, if you the reason some guys don't make it and last as long as they struggle in the big-time situations. Because if you watch the NFL over the last five years, you would know that 90% of the games in the playoffs and even in the regular season, I think the statistic is like 78%, come down to a field goal or one score. So you have to be – you can't make a mistake. Because if you miss a field goal in the first half because of a bad snap and you lose by three – you know, it's and that happens, or you miss an extra point because you snap one back and you lose by one, and that happens so often that it's you know it's it's part of our job, and I think the biggest factor of our job is performing in those high stress situations, um, just like it's any other day at the office. And the the one thing I've seen with Morgan and and some of the guys I revere as like top tier guys, um, they play well when the team needs them to like all the time, but especially when the team needs them to play well. I like and, that. Yeah. I mean, it's like when everything's going right, you know, that's nobody, nobody knows who you are if everything's going right. So yeah. the less people <laughs> but, know me, the better. Exactly. When I make, when I make a mistake is usually when, uh, I don't want Troy Aikman to say that's a low snap on TV. So <laughs> <laughs> I try to fight against that. All right. I love it. Last question. Uh, Ravens, if you had to pick a couple guys on your team right now that you think would be good at baseball or have like has seen maybe if like you've done like BP at some point, like what who are some of the Ravens you think would be great baseball players? Um Sam Cook for sure, even though he's a coach now. I played with him for two years. Definitely a superstar baseball player. Um Kyle Hamilton, definitely baseball. I I had this conversation on uh, a similar conversation on um Ryan's podcast. I think Kyle Hamilton is the most athletic guy on our team. And that's saying something because I'm a two-time two-sport pro athlete. Uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like he would be really good. Um, ben Cleveland, surprise, uh, believe it or not, was actually really good in high school. Um, hit like 20-something home runs. I think he hit like 26 home runs on his senior year. Yeah, he was really, really good. Um, obviously, extremely large human being. So if he made contact, he uh, he you know, was probably going to be a home run. But he's from Georgia, so I I knew of him, uh, and I played with him at, in college as well. Um, I've known him for years. Uh, he's really good. Um, let me think about this. It's tough because baseball players aren't very good at rotate. Or sorry, football players aren't great at rotational sports. Like the the art of like hitting like this, yeah. You you can usually tell if someone's like good at golf, then they're probably good at baseball as a football player, because we don't we we don't have that like we don't do this that much and like we're not swinging you know this way mm -hmm. in football that often. So the rotational skill like Marlon Humphreys is, <laughs> you know he's <laughs> he's not the best golfer. Yeah. He's like very stiff, and even you know some guys are just not good at the rotational stuff, but. Sam Cook, I know for a fact, is really good. Morgan Cox was probably pretty good. Um, and uh, Kyle Hamilton, definitely. Kyle would be my guest right now to be the second best baseball player on the team. I like that. You got Ben Cleveland, maybe like your first baseman. Kyle could be like center field. Yeah. Like, I'm already yeah. starting to see a team here. You guys should go do this like we, a softball league. We could, well, no, we used to do uh, like a, a lot of teams do like a charity softball event. 
uh, in the summertime. We haven't done one since I've been here. Obviously, with COVID for two years, it kind of hindered that. But um, I don't know what happened. We used to do one every year. Or they did. I, before it was before my time. We did one uh, when I was with the Saints. And it was funny to watch guys. Uh, like some guy, like I remember watching Michael Thomas. And, you know, superstar football player. You know, at that time, he was like the peak of wide receivers in the NFL. Just horrendous. <laughs> it's just absolutely horrendous at hitting. And it's like slow pitch softball. And it's like a guarantee to be a homer. Like in the game, I we were playing at two lanes baseball field. And uh, I ended up going like five or five with five home runs in the game. <laughs> Surprisingly no, enough, though, I, I will have to say this. Shout out to uh, Zach Wood, the long snapper for the Saints. He, he beat me in the home run derby, I will say. I made the mistake of not wearing batting gloves. And I uh, swung and, and the bat slipped. Like, I slipped out of my hands a couple uh, – one time. And so I was, like, really nervous to do that again. And I struggled. But then I put batting gloves on for the game. And I was just absolutely nuke involved. But uh, I would love to do a home run derby here. I, I, I would love, it'd be interesting to see who's good at baseball. Do you think Tucker would be good? No. Absolutely. No. <laughs> no neither – nor Jordan Stout. They're both – I've seen – I played golf with both of those guys. <laughs> no way they're good at baseball. No. Tuck, <laughs> they played soccer. Tuck, I know, like, Tuck didn't okay. play baseball. I knew that Jordan – I don't think Jordan plays anyway. There's no way they're good at baseball. <laughs> they could throw. Like, uh, well, just, Tucker could definitely, like, throw. But hitting-wise, yeah. no chance. I don't well, think. High-stress situations, field goals. Like, he could be, like, a closer. That's a high-stress. Yeah. I feel like yeah, could baseball is – Oh, yeah, he could definitely – like, if Justin were to be a baseball player, he would 1,000% be a closer. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, I even give Sam – I mean, I give Sam Cook a hard time. I'm like, there's no chance you could play – I'll send videos. Like, I'll if I watch, like uh, – um, I uh, I'll watch – if I see, like, the you know, in college, they have the GoPro on the umpire's helmet. And I'll, like – or they'll have, like, a guy will be throwing a bullpen and they'll be videoing it from the back. I'll send clips to Morgan and Sam. I'm like, there's no way you're hitting this, bro. Like, there's just no ch- I, no chance. Like, take it from a guy who was there and didn't hit it. You're not hitting it. <laughs> like, I, I, that was my job, and I still wasn't able to hit it. And, like, I, I'm like, so I play catch. My one of my, like I said earlier, my best, one of my best friends is Brad Keller, um, starting pitcher, and I'll play catch with him. And mind you, I played five years of pro baseball. Like, and I played first base. So I got, you know, throw some. I played with um, Mauricio Dubon. He was our shortstop. And Margot was our center fielder. I caught balls from guys that were really talented and had absolute cannons. Back then, no big deal. I play catch with my cousin now. He's like, all right, I'm going to gas this one up. And because you pitchers, you, when you play catch with a pitcher, it's a horrible thing to do. It's a terrible yes. thing to do. Wear catcher's mitt and wear full catching gear because. They don't know how to play catch. Like they, they're like pitching and just humming it in there, you know. And so I'm like, the first couple, I'm like, oh my, like it like throws me off guard because he's, you know, he throws like mid nineties, and the, nothing goes straight, so the ball's like, you know, moving all over the place. And I'm like, you guys couldn't even catch. You could, you couldn't even play catch with someone who throws that hard, let alone hit it with a baseball bat. And so one day we're gonna have to go out and get one of those new uh, pitching machines that you can customize your pitcher. I, I watch King of Juco all the time, uh, him and Trevor Bauer. So I, I see like they set up the, the pitcher to be, you know, Trevor Bauer or something. And I would love, I would pay money to watch guys go in that batting cage. Just throw fastballs, just throw like 97 mile an hour fastballs. Straight, four seams, straight. <laughs> I just, I would love to see what guys do like i think it would be utterly hilarious you see like celebrities take bp or just like people think that swinging a bat is so easy like oh how hard could it be and then you see like people that have never swung a bat before try to swing it like athletes and you're like whoa are you well just look at the look at the first pitches throwing is significantly easier than hitting and look at how bad these first pitches are like travis kelsey's was absolutely terrible 50 cent 50 cents, the worst of all time, but it's, worst of all time. <laughs> it's not every day you get George Bush showing out there throwing a freaking absolute Hot. talk about, <laughs> talk about high pressure situation. And after nine 11 and throws an absolute gym right down the middle, you don't, I could not imagine how hard that was. I would have been shaking in my boots, literally like 
profusely sweating. Palms would have been so wet. I would have for sure said the ball's going against the backstop. And the guy throws a freaking laser beam right down the middle. Perfect strike. And guys can't even do – like Travis Kelsey goes out there and spikes in the ground in like a summer game in Cincinnati. And there's like nobody in the stand. <laughs> like George Bush is day after – I think it was the day after, maybe two days after 9-11. And like the biggest moment in arguably in sports history at that time was like him strolling out for that first pitch. America's literally on his back. Yep. And just puts one, dots one right down the middle. Right in the middle. The most iconic first pitch of all time. But but no, I'll have to see if I can uh, set something up next year. Maybe I'll talk to Cedric and see if we can't get a um, get get guys hitting off the machine, see what happens. Oh, an Orioles-Ravens crossover event? Live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do a golf event with him every year, and it's super fun. But I would love if we just go out there, put the pitching machine on like 70. Straight four seam fastballs. No the whole team. Everyone right gets a, everyone gets a try. I would venture to say ninety percent of the guys wouldn't make contact. Oh yeah. At I least. mean at least maybe ninety five. Maybe maybe like three guys would make contact. Me, Ben, and Kyle. <laughs> They'll talk a good game though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, he would. I mean Marlon for sure would talk a good game and there's no way he's hitting it. And so uh, there's some guys I don't like, I don't know too much about, um, especially this year. I haven't been around that much, but I could, I would venture to guess that there's only a handful of guys that could actually do it. I would pay I mean, I, to see that. I would struggle for sure. I haven't hit a baseball and I haven't legit swung a baseball bat in probably since 2019. I would say that's the last time I've really like actually swung for real. And you'd be like Barry Bonds compared to everybody else, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would definitely go to bat just like Barry Bonds. I'd be, like, up there just pimping everything, just <laughs> trying to hit dingers. With your Red Sox, like, jersey and hat on? Oh, yeah. I'm mean, King Griffey Jr. with the backwards hat and the untucked jersey. Uh, <laughs> I got my Red Sox jersey in here somewhere. It's in my house. <laughs> I, I should have I worn it. It's uh, from when I got drafted. I should have worn it. <laughs> that Dude, this – this has been incredible. Like, thank you so much for, you know, giving me a piece of your time tonight. You know, we rooting for the Ravens here this, this coming playoff. So um, you're the man. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Justin. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. So